everybody out there. It's Montel here, and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I am so excited about the guest that I have today. My guest today is the embodiment of perseverance. He's a Detroit native. He inherited the valuables, uh, this valuable trait of perseverance from his father, who is the NBA Hall of Fame point guard, Isaiah Thomas, who I met and was just absolutely blown away when I met him. He's a renowned DJ. He's a sought-after MC and host. He's dedicated to activism on human rights, and he's a forward-thinking businessman. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Zeke Thomas to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for being here today, sir. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Um, it's an honor and a privilege to be here, and you know, you're one of the the first pioneers uh, to bring cannabis uh, to the forefront of the conversation. So it's, it's it's really an honor to be here. No, I thank you so much, sir. I, I could talk to you for probably the next four hours. You know, I don't want to just focus on one thing because I don't want to give people the impression that you were just, you know, monolithic. You are literally, you know, an incredible businessman. You've been, you know, got a background. It's diverse. Your background is everything from DJing to you know, being an MC, Let, let's back up a little bit and being the son of, you know, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, you know, let's back way up, my brother. Let's, let's go back. And now, you know, I'm, I'm looking at you. You're not that old. So, you know, you were probably, you know, just above toddler when your dad was playing, correct? Yes. Uh, when my dad retired, I was four years old. And the reason wow. I remember, the reason I remember that, um, so amazingly is that uh, the Pistons gave him a going away present to Disney World. So that was joyous for me. And, you know, it was mainly a trip, I, I believe, for me. We had it happened around my, my birthday, actually. And my dad was the grand marshal in the parade at Disney World, but I really took it as I was the grand marshal. <laughs> so it was a, a, a real treat. And definitely growing up with um, him as a dad has been terrific. And really just he, you know, besides being, you know, a great point guard and businessman himself, he really instilled values of me in activism, which is so um, prevalent now and needed more than ever. Absolutely. And your activism uh, goes across the gamut, but let's still, I'm going to stay back here in the youthful time. So where'd you go to school? You went to school in Detroit? Went to school in Detroit, went to uh, Detroit Country Day. And then uh, when we moved to Indiana and New York, um, went to Park Tudor and then um, graduated from Harrison High School and then went to college uh, at Indiana University. And throughout that period of time, you're developing years. Now, were you interested in playing basketball? Was that something you wanted to follow in your father's footsteps with or what? You know what I mean? Or, or did the skill drop down a generation? <laughs> the skill definitely dropped down a generation, but I, I kept getting injured. I tore my Achilles. I separated my shoulder, broke my arm. Then I finally realized that I should probably just stick to DJing. <laughs> which turned out to be go. the right decision. <laughs> and you started DJing about when? I started DJing um, when I was 12 years old. My cousin actually had gotten a set of turntables that I just pretty much took over uh, <laughs> from him. And then actually on 9-11, my dad um, took me to 
Circuit City back then. Circuit City. And oh man, that's that's a trip down memory lane. <laughs> yeah, and got me my own set definitely as a distraction for everything that was going on with the in the world at that time. And from then on, I was just hooked. Started interning at um, the radio station in in Indianapolis. And then when we moved to New York, I got the privilege um, to intern at Hot ninety seven, and then was able actually to become assistant programming director over there. When, how old were you then when you were assistant programmer at Hot 97? 17, 18. <laughs> Go ahead with your bad stuff. It, it, it just kind of, it, it happened that, you know, the programming director got fired or left and then another one left. And I just kind of just knew the operation and just kind of just kept on trekking up. And I actually tried to convince my dad, like, I'm not going to go to school. I'm just going to stay in Hot 97. And he was like, no, you're going to go to school and <laughs> buy the gotcha. Hot 97, which was definitely the right decision because um, education, honestly, is the key to everything. And it, it truly is knowing, you know, whether whether it's college education or just, you know, the reading that is going on and the information that is available. Um, I think just education is the key to all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Would you get your degree in? I got my degree actually in entertainment. Um, I was oh. able actually to do the create your own major program at <laughs> Indiana, um, which not a lot of universities offer, but I always think it's a cool fact that the guy who actually makes the crossword puzzles uh, for the New York Times majored in crossword puzzles at Indiana University. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Okay. So now, so so you get your degree in entertainment and then you got back out of college and started the circuit of being a DJ, right? Definitely. Um, And it definitely was a a learning experience first because, you know, you're, you're idolizing so many DJs like Fat Man Scoop definitely took me under his wing and, and I definitely just used to stare at, Funkmaster Flex, um, DJing, but really trying to work yourself in to the rotation of the clubs and sometimes having, you know, the stereotype of being the quote unquote privileged kid on the block trying to get into the clubs. But I, I really just tried to learn and some people gave me opportunities and others didn't, but that was just the beauty of the hustle. And I've really, um, enjoyed it i've been djing now 17 years so in wow. dj years i'm i'm not that young anymore Montel. <laughs> right. well now but you know but but in dj years you've accomplished so much you know in that 17 years and my goodness you you've, you've been on stage with everybody from snoop dogg to lady gaga why don't you name drop a little bit so we can all get a flavor yeah um i dj'd um couple Snoop concerts, um, actually at Indiana University, and then got a chance to DJ um, for Lady Gaga, which was absolutely a surprise, was DJing um, in a rock bar um, late night, and all of a sudden, um, a band starts coming in, like literally a, a horn player, a drum set, and I asked the manager what's going on, and she says to me, Lady Gaga is coming to perform, so just keep DJ. <laughs> and wow. she's going to come in and play a set. And I'm just like, 
well, okay. <laughs> so yeah, all right. Was, yeah. So it was just really cool. And, and, and moments like that have happened, you know, DJing for Sean Combs. And then um, the, I think the coolest person I got to DJ for was Michelle Obama. I think, you know, everybody saw, you know, Michelle Obama's great speech at the DNC. And she's just a hell of a woman. And that was really just a privilege and starstruck. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I would be starstruck myself. Absolutely. So now you parlayed that world into a really extensive business world. I mean, you're an entrepreneur. I, I consider myself a serial entrepreneur myself. And, but you, you take that to another level, my friend. Right? Now I, you are, you, go ahead. I was going to say, you're currently, you're currently the CMO or COO of your father's company. Explain that to us. Yes, CMO of Isaiah International, which um, is a holding company based out of Chicago, um, Illinois. Um, I got my first start working uh, for my dad. We went into the champagne space, Sherlon Champagne. Um, We are the only African-American champagne brand um, in the United States. and importer. Um, but really getting into the champagne space was exciting for me because I was the only one in my family who spoke a little bit of French. So when we went to champagne, I was kind of smoothing, smoothing out things and trying to handle some of the negotiations, but mainly it was the branding experience that I really enjoyed. Um, just in terms of creating the color scheme and really going, um, after target markets in terms of, you know, hospitality and outreach, which I had learned from being a DJ and operating in the hospitality spaces. So really just putting, um, my foot to the pavement in terms of branding and marketing of it in terms of the color scheme and really, um, the outreach just in terms of the marketing going into the hospitality space and, really was excited about the opportunity to work with my dad. It definitely was a learning experience, I think, for both of us in terms of the father-son dynamic, because when your dad's your boss, you can't really get in an argument. (laughs) Because, you know, and and being, you know, of age, you can't really send me to my room, but he definitely could cut off my paycheck, so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Definitely working with my dad has, it's been a privilege because he really is about, you know, a family business and trying to uplift our family, um, which has been great. And I'm really looking forward to more collaborations, especially as we've gotten now into the cannabis space um, with Vessel Oils. And then he just became vice chairman of One World Farm. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. 
Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. Now, your portfolio with your dad's company is Isaiah, what's it called, Isaiah International? Yes. So that portfolio has multiple. Why don't you talk about what the different uh, verticals are within your company? So the different champagne. We have champagne. Um, again, we're the only African American owned um, champagne and importer um, in the United States. Um, we get the first press of the grape, the freshest, um, and actually own land um, in the Aub region of France, um, which is the oldest region um, of champagne. Um, actually, the the soil dates back to the Jurassic age, um, which I always found pretty cool. Hopefully, to find you know a raptor um, in uh, <laughs> in the soil one day, which you know the raptors was one of my dad's um, first ventures into sports and entertainment. Um, but going on into sports and entertainment, you know, it's definitely our bread and butter. Um, but we also have a real estate side as I said, a cannabis side with Vessel Oils and One World Pharma, champagne, of course. Um, but we play in multiple buckets and we like to specialize really in startups and turnarounds. And hopefully um, our track record in terms of branding and growth um, is starting to hopefully speak for itself and will continue to grow. And I'm excited just to really um, dive into um, people of color own businesses and really helping, um, people of color, um, hopefully lift up and enrich themselves. Absolutely. That's, that's unbelievable. That, that's really, 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 really notable. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting how, you know, in the last 20 years and really in the last year, you know, attitudes have changed. I mean, there's been a quite a while where, you know, African Americans didn't look out for each other as well as we could have in business. And now the fact that we have some of the leading minds in, the African-American community actually reaching out to help other African-Americans do well. Uh, it's, it's, it's notable, it's admirable, and, and bravo Zulu to you, my friend. So let's talk a little bit about your interest in the cannabis space. Who brought that idea to Isaiah International? Was that you or did he find it? It definitely was my idea to dive into the cannabis space in terms of Isaiah International, but my my, not that my dad was ever hesitant, but he's definitely um, somebody who wasn't truly educated on the plant. And he definitely is more into the CBD side of the business as um, the topical creams has really blown his mind just in terms of the healing properties. And he says, you know, if he had known about CBD or CBD had been legal, um, by the multiple collective bargain agreements and s- sports leagues, he definitely, you know, wouldn't have been on opioids and various things that generally didn't work. Um, they just temporarily um, took away the pain, but they didn't really heal the pain. And in terms of, and I think I think most people most. I'm sorry, I may cut you off, but I think most people are starting to realize that opioids really don't even take away the pain. They may just mask it. Yeah, they kind uh, of just send it to your brain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) locking the signal to your brain for a minute. But at the end of the day, you're still hurting. Correct. 
whereas cannabinoids and and because we do know that we have an endogenous you know uh endocannabinoid system that is part of our physiology we know for a fact that you know our bodies were meant to consume cannabis we make our own cannabinoids and you know we know that they are responsible for cellular homeostasis and without them we think that that may be part of the reason for the rise of so many illnesses that we have especially in the last century that we've you know become very paramount in society and the fact now that you you nailed it uh, we're starting to recognize that the creams and the topicals and the edibles and those things actually play a role that we never ever ever imagined they could play now we have to do and i think one of the biggest things that really is you you nailed it earlier in our conversation you know education 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 is the paramount you know avenue in cannabis and i think that's one of the areas that you know i've been complaining about a lot in the last five months about the fact that you know there are so many of us who got involved that you know there's some institutional money that's come involved there are some you know, corporations that are trying to get involved, but they focus in only on maybe one breakthrough and skip the other breakthroughs. And there are so many breakthroughs happening. You know, we've uh, identified CBD as, you know, the end to all when we know that CBD, just like THC, is only one of 600 cannabinoids. Exactly. Um, at Vessel, we just got into CBG. And of course, I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't even know what, what CBG was. And then now I'm learning actually about CBN and, you know, there, there's, there's so many things. And I've been actually reading um, Steve D'Angelo's book, who I would call, you know, one of the OGs of cannabis like yourself. Um, it's, it's just amazing to find out the information, especially as a young person um, who really experienced cannabis first on the THC side, being in the recording studio. Not going to lie, definitely used it for creativity and you know i feel like i wrote some of my best music and created some of my best um music videos after um consuming cannabis it definitely definitely has creative properties and even in terms of my um human rights work you know i am a sexual assault survivor and in terms of anxiety in terms of depression um there's no doubt about it in my mind that it has helped me um, way more than any of the medications that I was ever put on um, in terms of balancing it. But I feel like anything, you can abuse anything that you want, that you consume. But I think that the stigma that we've placed on cannabis and in terms of the miseducation, just like you said, I have friends who love THC but are scared to try CBD even, and you know that's that's mind blowing to me. But that's my that just, should be that should be mind blowing. It's just the miseducation, and it's the it's the the thrill of the quote unquote high. But as you said, we have an endocannabinoid system that really can heal the body, and the fact that you know big pharma and you know cannabis prohibition came in to really um hurt our people um don't get it wrong you know if, if these laws came in to harm us um not just in you know the criminal justice system but also you know it, it stunted creativity um you know louis armstrong was a, a big consumer of cannabis and he used to get arrested at the cotton club all the time 
<laughs> and yeah, but, well, people don't understand it. Our forefathers were big consumers of cannabis also. We can go back in time and got to remember. Yeah, we can definitely go back 1300s, 1400s. Absolutely. Uh, go back to 1600s here in the United States. I mean, you know, when you're looking at all of our forefathers and the great minds that wrote the Constitution, they were all sitting back smoking a hemp-based cigarette and, you know, didn't recognize back then that there were chemicals in there that actually caused that euphoria, but euphoria, but enjoy the euphoria that we're getting. And we got to remember, it was different times. You know, back then in the 1600s, people were wiping their butts with leaves. You know, <laughs> we didn't have rolled up toilet paper. You know what I mean? Right. There wasn't air conditioning. There was heat outside. You know what I mean? You were boiling your water and adding alcohol to it so that you didn't get disease. And, you know, people were sleeping not on mattresses. They were sleeping on the ground. So, yeah, you something to help you get through the day. You know, everybody, every human being was in the United States probably walked around chewing on or puffing on a hemp-based cigarette, which was really as, a, a, you know, a sativa cigarette anyway. Definitely. 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 And just the, the things that, you know, the things that hemp um, did to change the world and is going to do to change the world just in terms of, you know, obviously replacing plastics and other things like that. Um, I'm really excited um, for the way that we can heal the earth with this plant. But I really hope that um, people standing in the way um, just for profits um, will put those profits hopefully aside and really realize that, you know, in 20 years, if we don't fix this, this climate change and plastic problem, we're going to be, for lack of a better word, really effed. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, well, you know, but, I, but again, it wasn't, it, it's weird. We got this double-edged sword. It's because of profits and, you know, people like, you know, uh, uh, Mitch McConnell, who recognized that his state of Kentucky could make a lot of money if they went ahead and legalized hemp and passed mm -hmm. the farm bill you know, so that he could make a lot of money himself and all his his kinfolk, uh, we would be still sitting back here, you know, uh, 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 in the prohibition world of hemp. Now, at least hemp gets to cross state lines. You know, I, I, I don't know how long it'll be before we actually accept, you know, cannabis, but, you know, uh, the sativa plant. But, you know, when you look at the way and the attitudes of the day, it's not going to be until big pharma decides that they can make some money and the second they figure out they can make some money like they tried to do before they'll realize that you know or the the second that maybe Uday and Kuse you know Trump's kids figure out they can make some money then all of a sudden prohibition against sativa will go away or against you know cannabis will go away but you know it's going to be a while but I it's really I, it's definitely going to be a while just because you know we have this state by state um model yes. which is why i'm i'm so interested in the opportunity um that my dad and our family now has in colombia um where generally 44 percent of the world's cannabis is going to come from colombia um just because they can get three turns of the soil and you know in the united states we're doing mostly indoor grows which is really harmful to the environment just in terms of the greenhouse gases that it's releasing and we're actually a, a crazy statistic that I found out um, right now, the United States cannabis industry, which is illegal uses 12% of the, 
of the U.S. power grid. Uh, for comparison, the auto industry uses 0.3% of the U.S. power grid. So that that's only going to go up and cause a much worse problem. But in terms of, you know, the vertical integration of all these uh, companies having to have, you know, a grow, a dispensary, a this, just to exist and sell in the States, it's really messing over a lot of small businesses and really making way for big pharma just to dominate again. And that is why I'm really, really pushing um, for, you know, the deregulation and the legalization. I, it's, it's really harming more people than helping people in so many multiple ways and not just financially. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Look, you know, I've hit that mark where I got to pay a couple of bills here. So I got to take a little break and uh, it'll be a couple minute break. Take a break, pay some bills and we'll be back right now. You've been listening to Let's Be Blown with Martel and today's guest is Mr. Zeke Thomas. And we'll be back right after this. Well, thanks so much for tuning in. The Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And today's guest is Mr. Zeke Thomas. And I got to tell you, he is the son of the world-renowned, world-famous, you know, NBA all-star, historical all-star, Mr. Isaiah Thomas. And thank you so much for being a part of our show today, sir. No, thank you again for having me. It's, it, it's been a privilege and a, and a real treat for me to join you. Well, my friend, you've been dropping some really good science and some and, and, and spitting out some information that a lot of people don't really understand when it comes to cannabis and especially doing this. I mean, how, how has it been? You purchased a CBD company. Is Are you venturing into THC products also? Um, yeah, the, the CBD company, again, Bessel Oils, based out of Denver, um, do CBD and... Um, CBD extraction and such, but they also, we also have a THC grow in Oklahoma that is um, right now um, basically uh, medical based. Definitely will be venturing into the um, commercial THC um, industry. Definitely um, looking for more partners and brands um, to really get into right now at um, One World Pharma, really focusing on trying to supply um, companies just in terms of, you know, the seeds and the product and the hemp. Um, what I'm really excited about in the THC space is that, you know, I'm a creative. <laughs> so getting into the THC space is not only a joy, but it's also going to be um, really enjoyable to see, you know, black people succeed. Um, and something that's naturally theirs, um, innately theirs, and, and has been, uh, uh, again, since the dawn of time. Um, you can go back to ancient Egypt. Uh, you can go even probably further than that. But hemp, that plant, cannabis, um, it's been around for close to 3,000, almost 4,000 years now. So you're, Before uh, Jesus. Correct. And, but, you know, <laughs> I, you know everybody, everybody talks about the, you know, the nativity story, but, you know, the three wise men weren't stupid. You know, they showed up with incense, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, what is frankincense, folks? And for those who don't know, if it's good enough for the baby Jesus, it's got to be good enough for everybody else. Amen. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, we don't, we don't like to tell the history of cannabis the way it should be told incorrectly. Even to the day, I've seen very few documentaries that actually look back in time and explain to people that America wasn't built on the backs of tobacco, 
America was built on the back of hemp. You know, every rope, every sail, every canvas, every sheet, all the clothing, the entire revolutionary army was clothed in hemp fiber. You know, we grew hemp and grew it and used it for everything from clothing to we ate it as a porridge because we knew that it was such a highly protein laden seed. And we did this, as you said earlier, all the way through to 1937 when we instituted the Marijuana Tax Act. And that wasn't instituted because we were afraid of a caustic drug. It was instituted because of people like William Randolph Hearst and Charles DuPont who were trying to corner the market on you know, textiles and on uh, uh, wood and didn't like the fact that you know, there was a competitor that was 10 times better. And then we went on about since 1937 ensuring that close to 80% of the people who have been charged or arrested or imprisoned were people of color. It was a way for us to continue slavery without, you know, blatantly having chains, even though the chains and, and the bars are there when you go to jail. So, Correct. you know, if we told the truth, you know, I think people would start to accept it better and understand that we utilize this. And you go back and read a newspaper from, you know, 1895, 1896, seven, or right post the, the civil war, you go to the back to the classifieds, and there is article and article and ad after ad after ad talking about cannabis-based tinctures to relieve pain. So we're just now finally catching up with the science that has already been available and acting like all of a sudden, oh, it's a great breakthrough. Stop with the stupid. It's been around. It's something that we've enjoyed and something that mankind's enjoyed. And why not allow it to continue to happen today? I'm telling you, my brother, we need to team up. I kid you not. I, I just feel it, feel it in my bones. But, um, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about what the your objectives are right now. You just started the uh, farm and you said in Oklahoma and you're dealing right now in medical cannabis. I'm sure you have researchers on that are now starting to focus in on all the other cannabinoids that are available. Right. Definitely. Um, and I got to I really got to give credit um, to our CEO at Vessel, um, who's also a chemist, um, Bobby Scott, um, the way that he's really been able to inform me about the cannabinoids and has really just been interested. Um, he started, you know, as a as a college student, just playing with his chemistry set um, in his dorm room. And I think that that honestly is what has been able, you know, the science has been there, but now the science is being, you know, discovered um, by young people, you know, just playing around with things illegally. Right. <laughs> but, you know, the way that he's been able to inform me again about CBG and now we're releasing actually our CBG bath bombs, um, which I uh, got to sample um, the other day, you know, put this little, I, I like to call it a Pokemon ball in the tub. And it honestly, it's, it's so relaxing and so, so just all the pain and then inflammation just went away. But you know, it, it, you like to say that it's like magic, but it, it, it is because it's, it's unlike anything um, that I've ever experienced just in terms of 
healing and relaxation. Um, and I think for people that for people out there that are listening to us right now, CBG is another one of the cannabinoids that are found in a hemp or a CB, uh, uh, sorry, a sativa plant, a cannabis plant. And we know that right now that cannabis plants contain somewhere about, you know, there's Canadian research that claims that there's about 160 different cannabinoids and those cannabinoids all have their own individual properties. Now the person who actually discovered cannabinoids to begin with is a doctor by the name of Dr. Raphael Mishulam. I had the pleasure of being able to interview him in his laboratory in Israel 12 years ago. So long before people were getting on the bandwagon, you know, I was reaching out around the world to try to get as much information as I possibly could. And he's the guy who identified THC, CBD, and also the endocannabinoid system. And and in identifying that, he started looking at the receptors in the brain that actually were antagonized by or responded to the different cannabinoids. But we know that we haven't even scratched the surface right now. We haven't even scratched the surface because, you know, uh, we, again, you haven't, you haven't been able to legally research it and really do the, the proper homework. And, you know, I give, I give a lot of credit to, you know, the European people and, 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 and uh, Asia right now who are, who are really kind of leading the science in this and, Hopefully we can and Canada again, and hopefully you know we can catch up, so to speak. But we have an opportunity again to change the world for a third time, a second time, whatever, however many times you want you want to say. But it's 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 very. I'm very optimistic, but I'm also you know you, you do have that fear because we got an election coming up. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. I, I got to tell you that that right there, I think, is one of the scariest things um, that I faced in my lifetime. And you know, a lot of young people out there going, you know, it, it was was it worse back during the Great Depression, or was it worse, you know, during World War II? Was it worse during Korea? Was it worse during Vietnam? No, I think we're living in the worst of times right now. And unless people understand that they need to get their butts up out of the chair and get out and vote. Um, you know, who knows if uh, November 2nd doesn't turn out the way we think it should. <laughs> that was an echo. <laughs> well, you want to say hi to Montel since you're walking in the room? <laughs> Isaiah, what's up, my friend? How are you, sir? Well, been a long time, my brother. I love you. Oh, man, been a long time, my brother. Been a long time. Right back at you. You look great, sir. Do you ever age, my friend? Come on now. Do you ever age? I don't think we all age. No. It's that melanin. It's that melanin, my brother. And it's also it's it's also an endocannabinoid system. I tell you, your your son is doing you and your son are doing big things, my friend, in the cannabis space. Thank you so much for venturing down this road. No, I I think we're really um excited to get the opportunity and explore and and i've i've learned things from you on this podcast uh already and i i i hope to learn more and obviously you know we said that we're gonna chop it up and we should you know again in both your passion my passion in terms of uplifting people and having the opportunity to you know a man like yourself who made his name in entertainment and served his country and you know it's just done amazing things and then you know my father also made his name in sports and you know a lot of people point to you know 
sports entertainment has uplifted our community. And now for the, the chance to really give back and be able to have doctors, lawyers, businessmen, um, able to build and build that kind of wealth. It's, it's, it's a great opportunity and a, a real honor. Oh, no, thank you, sir. And thanks so much for doing the, the quick uh, pop in. I really appreciate that. But yeah, <laughs> look, man, I mean, there's so much, there's so much that we, you said it exactly right. We are just barely scratching the surface right now when it comes to cannabis and hemp. Uh, you know, when you talk about that bomb that you or that, that bomb that you have, that bath bomb that you have, that CBG. Well, a lot of people don't understand that CBG is what they call the God cannabinoid or the stem cell cannabinoid because, you know, when a plant is is is, is first growing, you know, the first cannabinoids that appear is one of the first is CBG. And CBG is what turns into THC and CBD. And then they very further refine themselves into THCA, THC, you know, V, CBDA, CBDV, the acid version of those. And recent research has just proven that CBD and CBG in combination may be a greater, the best anti-inflammatory for anti-inflammatory illnesses related to COVID. It's being tested wow. right now. I'm not speaking out of turn when I say that. If you look that up on the internet, there's two articles that have been peer-reviewed, studied right now, and looking at the effect of the anti-inflammatory effect of CBG and CBD. So, and also THC, people do not understand. And not only is THC responsible for euphoria, but the acid version, THCA, which is not euphoric unless you heat it up, also has an immense anti-inflammatory property. But because... We have these draconian laws that prohibit the, you know, distribution of them across state lines. You know, we're still acting like THC, THC, every bit of THC is bad. It's not bad. And, you know, people need to understand that not only is it good for you from a euphoric standpoint and a creative standpoint, if it was good enough for Benjamin Franklin, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but, you know, they, they scraped Benjamin Franklin's pipes in, that were sitting on the desk in the Smithsonian Institute for about 40 years, they took one of his pipes about five years ago and scraped the inside out of it and realized that Benjamin Franklin wasn't just, you know, sitting back, talking on to pack. A whole boy was making sure he eased his day at the end of the day. So, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so let's get, let's get real about this and stop lying. That's what needs to start happening. You know, I, I, I'm so shocked when I talk to people and they don't understand that, you know, terms like canvas, the only reason why we have a, word canvas is because it came from cannabis. When we covered wagons to go across the country, we were using hemp fiber to do so. When we fought wars, even during World War II, even after prohibition, our government forced farmers to grow hemp in the United States because that's what all of our ropes and sails were made out of. But we lie to the American public. We lie to us and say that, you know, it's, we, we had, we had a pro, uh, uh, prohibition in place because we needed to stop them darkies from destroying the world. Well, at the same time that we wanted to stop us from destroying the world, they made sure that they flooded, you know, African-American cities with cannabis as much as they could in the 50s and the 60s, the same way as they flooded, you know, the, the streets of our cities with opioids. In the you know early uh, you know, talking cocaine, cocaine and opioids, they we flooded them back in the eighties. You know it started the whole crack issue. This was something that was paid for by the United States government. 
So we need to stop the stupid and start telling the truth. Amen to that. We got to start telling the truth about a lot of things. And what's really, again, what's, what's, what's exciting is the information is out there and people are, you know, discovering it. You know, I, I, I was talking to actually one of the Parkland shooting survivors actually last night. And he was telling me, he's, he's an 18 year old kid. And he was telling me, I just learned about um, the big, biggest massacre um, in Oklahoma, obviously, um, you know, that killed black, burned up black Wall Street. Um, he said, I learned about that watching The Watchmen on HBO. And right. that's, that, that's just mind blowing to me. Not mind blowing to me because <laughs> I grew up in the same education system that he did, except, you know, I got the home education and, and, and the indoctrine education. Um, right. But the, but, but the information's out there and it's, it, it's being exposed. And the best thing is people want to learn it. You know, there, there was definitely even people in my generation and definitely uh, above who didn't want to learn it, didn't care were very happy in their own bubble, very happy with their privilege, very um, content to keep the status quo. But the generation below, um, and you know, definitely some enlightened people in the world are speaking up, and it's uh, great to see and listen Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Well, tell me a little bit about where you see the future of uh, your company going uh, over the next yeah, I mean, we're right still in the midst of this great pandemic that doesn't seem to want to go away. And if, you know, God forbid, we wind up on the wrong path after November 2nd, it ain't going to go away then either. Correct. Right <laughs> now, hopefully, you know, Kamala and uh, Joe Biden, at least they have, have uh, you know, uh, spoken about the plans that they have to make a difference in the impact. Uh, which is way different than who we have in office right now who can't even articulate an idea about what he's even thinking because he ain't thinking. Correct. But, so, and I'm, I'm definitely, uh, I'm with Bill Maher on this in terms of I, I wish um, the DNC would just adapt um, legalizing uh, marijuana on their platform because I think it would turn a lot of people out to vote. Uh, but that's um, neither here nor there. But where well, do we I got, see well, we got to do what we got to do. And people like yourself and your dad, we've got to start reaching out to Kamala Harris, who is in office, who's there and saying, look, we need a conversation with your running mate because your running mate's got some misconceptions, has some bad information and he needs to be educated. And why will he not stop for a second and open up his mind and allow people to educate him? on cannabis. That's what we have to do over the next three months. And I'm with you. I think if, you know, the DNC were to go ahead and say, look, you know, we are going to change these draconian laws and finally allow for cannabis. We're going to not change the schedule. We're going to deschedule it and turn it into the nutraceutical that it should be. And we will then license the license that we have. Because remember, here's something I don't know if you know this or not. I'm pretty sure you probably do. But a lot of people who tune into my, this podcast are excited about when they hear the fact that our government owns the, the patent on CBD. Did you know that? Did not know that. The I United States government, that. the U.S. government gave itself a patent on CBD back in 2002, and they submitted for a patent in 1998. 
the U.S. government wrote in their patent application under the abstract all the things that they knew that CBD and THC did that were, you know, efficacious things in the medical world. And they have owned that patent ever since. So therefore, at any point in time, just know this. We in this industry, at any point in time, if the federal government wanted to step in and say, I'm not going to bust you because you've broken the law. I'm going to bust you because you're infringing on my patent. They could do so and shut wow. you down. Wow. And until we get this information out to the masses. It's uh, patent number 663-507, I believe, is the number. So if, if we need more and more people to look up the patent and recognize if you just read the U.S. government's own patent, it tells you how much they believe cannabis does for people, which is interesting. See what I mean? That's amazing. And that now that's going to be my first Google. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 just, just Google in the, after this conversation, Google U.S. patent on cannabis. It's crazy. That's, that's, that's wild. But I guess... Again, to answer your question about the the future of cannabis, I, you know, before the pandemic, um, definitely was excited about going into retail spaces and hospitality spaces. I think, you know, you're going to start seeing, you know, CBD put in beverages across uh, the country. Now, whether that's, you know, rightly that they're going to upsell you $3 for a couple drops, uh, (laughs) that's neither here nor there. But I think you're going to start seeing it used a lot more in food. Um, first of all, you know, I think, and not just, you know, THC, pop brownies, whatever, but I think, you know, CBD has the greatest opportunity um, to really change the game in terms of perception. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there 100%. I think that with the expansion of not only you know, the accessibility to CBD products, but the expansion in the way that we actually process and use it. Again, there's no reason why CBD is not, you know, put together with some CBN. And also let's not forget the terpenes and the lipids that are part of the plant that also make this thing work in its entourage effect. You know, I have a product that it's out that literally has its own proprietary uh, terpene formulation on top of CBD and THC together, because we know that, you know, uh, for those who have extreme anxiety from consuming a THC product, if you put a little CBD on top of that in the same consumption vessel vehicle, you'll find that some of that, you know, uh, uh, anxiety is relieved rather than, you know, exacerbated. So we're going to start to see, I think, some better formulations and we're going to start to see, you know, opportunities you know, rise where you'll be able to go in the airport and go by Hudson News and be able to pick up some CBD there before you get on a plane. You know, you'll be able to uh, grab some CBN, you know, as a sleep agent rather than taking some of the heavy pharmaceuticals that we've been taking right now. NyQuil. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, look at how much alcohol is in that. Yeah, 100%. You know, I would be remiss, my friend, if I didn't give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about your activism. I think you should, you know, use this space as best you can. But, I mean, I am so proud of you and, and for, number one, coming forward and talking about, you know, what your experiences have been in your life. But the fact that you've taken this on and championing the cause for so many others who have been abused. Well, you know, coming 
forward as I did um, as a sexual assault survivor and obviously going public on a, on a main stage like a, a Good Morning America, yes. it, it, I, I, I always say this because it, it really was. It, it was a positive decision, but also a negative decision for me because I wasn't ready. I feel like every survivor wants to be heard and I um, fortunately had the the megaphone to scream it out um, because I felt like nobody was listening to me. So it definitely was at that time a selfish decision in a sense. But the response that I got from it, from doing it and the continued response that I've gotten from it has definitely led me into stepping into the moment. And it's something that I'm passionate about and it's just something that uh sits with me just in terms of empathy um there is as much as i wanted to be heard and you know i I, as i said i got to be heard by by the millions but there's many people who do not get the opportunity to be listened to even by somebody sitting across the table from them um being believed by even you know their family members um there are, you know, during the pandemic right now, you're seeing a rise in sexual assault and domestic violence. And it's something that we really, really need to take a hard look at, um, especially um, with human trafficking around the world. And, you know, these young girls and men like myself um, are really getting taken advantage of and forgotten as Oh, that happened. Get over it. Oh, this, whatever. But the the trauma that lasts in your body and in your mind, um, if you are not able to deal with it, um, whether that's through therapy or therapeutics, um, oftentimes, you know, I fell into drug abuse. I, I fell into depression. And those moments were not positives. But I understood how now people end up in those situations. So making mental health and therapy more available um, to all is definitely something that is a mission of mine because the high costs of it and just the way that um, people don't have the opportunity to actually get engaged, whether that's resources through schools or, you know, there's, there's a, there's a shortage of guidance counselors and so on and so forth. And I can go on, but, now I'm getting well, sad. Well, hey, you know, <laughs> I, I, I will tell you that and we'll, we can discuss this also offline, but I'll just share it with you now online because people who have, who have been victims of sexual assault will listen very carefully to what you just had to say. You know, I've been working on and working with an organization that has put together a protocol that has now been completely doubled by a study, tested, has been tested with groups of as large as right now they are currently going through a test in uh, the UK uh, with 60 first responders which is a new form of uh, reconsolidation therapy that literally takes about 10 hours. And in a 10 hour period of time without any drugs at all, they uh, did a uh, test, a focus group, not a focus group, sorry. They did a double bond study with this uh, about four years ago with about 196 soldiers and came across the fact that they were had a 92% cure rate. A year later, people were no longer suffering from some of the symptoms of PTSD. So I will make sure wow, that we get- RTM, I will be 
Milwaukee yeah. set out. So now yeah. I gotta I gotta check out the the C V D patent and RTM. <laughs> Montel is dropping knowledge to me today. You gotta you gotta check it out. I'm working very hard right now, literally talking to whoever I can to see if we can get this program funded. And, you know, here's something a lot of people don't know. Our U.S. government has spent close to $5 billion in the last three years on protocols that they've proven don't work for PTSD. And this protocol here would cost about $40 million and literally could start impacting the 40, I mean, the 27, you know, suicides a day by our soldiers, but it not only works for combat PTSD, childhood PTSD from uh, uh, sexual assault to accidents to uh, physical damage to even working for first responders who are now suffering from PTSD from all of the care that they've been providing to so many other people when it comes to COVID. So, you know, it's really tough to get things like this when transformative things happen you know, they are normally met with the most vehement, adamant resistance as possible. It's the same reason why cannabis is being met with so much resistance, because we know it's transformative. And this is so transformative that right now it's already been studied at Walter Reed. It's already been studied at multiple colleges around the country. It's already been used by New York State, by Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's right now being studied in London because they just they shifted over from just using it for soldiers to actually any form of PTSD. We know it works. We just got to get people to understand that it's there. Oh, if 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 we can if, if we can get in charge, Montel, I'm telling you, we can change a lot of things. Oh, brother, I'm telling you, vote, 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 vote. We got to connect, and we got to make sure as we connect, we get other people out here to understand their responsibility is to take their butt out. Just like Michelle said the other night, if you have to pack a lunch, put on a change of shoes, and have a change of shoes with you on that line, then do so. That's what you got to do. I happen to be down here in Florida, and you know, I know you know that I um, I also was diagnosed with MS years ago, and because of my compromised immune system, I don't want to go out and stand in the line, but I'm trying to get my mail-in vote right now. And I have a right yes. to that. And remember, I don't know why, but, you know, there's some butthead who said that Florida he is, as, uh, does mail-in voting correctly. So I guess I'm in a good state. <laughs> you're in, you're in a, a good state because, of, you know, the, the Republican governors apparently know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, supposedly. Yeah. And that's right now, you know, isn't, isn't interesting. It, it, it took a Republican governor of Kentucky to force the issue of getting Mitch McConnell to get off his ass to pass the farm bill. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know, but only only when they recognize that there's some money in it. You know what I mean? Definitely. 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 Absolutely. So what's next for you, my friend? What's coming up next? And where can people go to find out more about what you're into? People can uh, go to find out more about me. Um, I'm always on Instagram. So please hit me up on Instagram. I'm, I'm more of a Twitter reader, not a tweeter. Um, but... <laughs> okay. uh, Definitely hit me up on Instagram at Zeke, Z-E-K-E underscore Thomas. Um, what's next for me is I'm just going to continue to keep people uh, registering to vote. I want to get everybody out there registering the vote. And no matter who you are going to vote for, please exercise your right as millions died for you to get that right. Absolutely. And, you know, tell your dad I said hi again. And thanks so much for dropping in for a second. 
And I want you to be well, stay well, and understand you got a home here. Anytime you want to come back, anytime you got something to promote, let me know. We'll get you right back up on. I'm doing not only, you know, uh, uh, Let's Be Blunt with Montel, but I'm starting another new podcast here soon. And um, truth be told. And so I'll have two going on at the same time. So I'd love you back for truth be told. And uh, let's keep getting the word out, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. And Let's Be Blunt was awesome. And Best of luck, and I will definitely come back on Truth Be Told. Okay, for sure. Let's kick it sometime. All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Our guest today has been Mr. Zeke Thomas, and you know how to get a hold of him at Zeke underscore Thomas.com, right? Yes. There you go. So you can get a hold of him, find out and follow him and know what he's doing. And you'll post when you're doing your next DJ gig up there. So people who want to go catch you there in action, they'll be able to do so. I can't say thanks enough to all of you for tuning in today to Let's Be Blunt. Make sure you catch us on the next episode. Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday. Podcasts.